Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad that you are joining us in the broadcast. I tell you what, it is a joy for us to bring this ministry to you, and we call it Hope for Your Heart because I've discovered something about hope. You can go through a lot of pain in life and you'll be okay. Uh, You can go through a lot of setbacks and failures in life and you'll be okay. You can even lose some things along the way and you'll be all right. But if you lose hope, you are in a world of trouble. And hope is one of those invisible things that every one of us need and everyone understands, but oftentimes we get to a point in our life where we lose that drive. We lose that determination. We lose that hope. That's why salvation is called the blessed hope. It's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so today, this is part two of a broadcast that we started yesterday that I've entitled Our Christian Duty. What is the duty that we have as followers of Christ? You know, the Old Testament character Daniel, one of my favorite Bible characters. Uh, You know that old song, Dare to be a Daniel, right? Dare to stand alone. Daniel was a guy who never lost his hope. He finds himself as a young person in Babylonian captivity uh, because of the disobedience of his own people, but he doesn't lose hope. He realizes that God is in control. As a matter of fact, as he gets to to be an older man, he's getting at the end of his life, and he's reading the prophet of Jeremiah. And as he goes through and reads the book of Jeremiah, he realizes that this Babylonian captivity was not only predicted by Jeremiah, but Jeremiah also said how long it's going to last and how it was going to end. That's why he was called the weeping prophet, I guess. Uh, He realized that his nation was going to reject the Lord once again. And God was going to have to allow a nation that was more wicked than Israel to come in and capture them. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we see that happen over and over again. And sometimes you may scratch your head and say, why could God take a really, really bad people and punish people that are not quite as bad? And so God operates on a different scale because God looks at us and he says, well, look at all the opportunities that you have been given. Now, listen, if you are here in the United States of America, you have probably heard the gospel. The question is not, have you heard the gospel? The question is, are you going to respond to the gospel? Don't reject the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And not only could you be forgiven of your sins, but you could have that hope that you will have Christ with you every day of your life. Well, Daniel, as he's reading the book of Jeremiah, discovers that the Babylonian captivity is just about over. They're in the 69th year. Daniel's an old man. But before we get to the fact that Daniel was an old man and God was going to allow him to see freedom, he never lost hope. You know, Daniel faced the lion's den. And as a result of facing the lion's den, he didn't cower in fear. He realized that God could sustain him. And I love this attitude. You know, Daniel was one of these guys that was a consistent man of God. Three times a day, he would pray. Whether or not it was acceptable or not, he would pray three times a day. I pray that the church will wake up, that the church realize that we have a wonderful opportunity in this world that we're living in. You know, the darker it gets, the brighter our light should shine. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. We are now getting to the warm time of the year. And I was thinking about yesterday it was in the 90s and, and uh, it was getting warm in my house as I was studying. And uh, all I did is I go over to my thermostat and I dropped the temperature a little bit. And that air conditioner, I could hear that heat pump kick in. And all of a sudden it began to get nice and cool. And I got thinking about how temperatures work. And I got thinking about what happens when that air conditioner turns on. That air conditioner takes out the humid warm air and replaces it with cool air. You know, as Christians, uh, that's what we're doing to our culture. We are salt and light. 
As we come into the culture, sometimes the culture rejects us because, you know, salt stings. But then sometimes the culture realizes they need to make some changes. And so what we do is we bring the good news of the message of Christ. And Daniel was doing that on behalf of his people. When we get to the New Testament, we discover that Peter writes a wonderful book. And uh, it's a book that is written in his life as he's getting older in his relationship with the Lord. First Peter was written when Peter was an older man, and I'm so glad it was because I imagine as First Peter is being written, that Peter is really, he's learned a whole lot of things, right? And uh, he probably doesn't want to go back to those days where he denied Christ uh, three times, and, and he probably doesn't want to remember those things. He probably doesn't want to remember some of the arguments that he had uh, with Paul over Jews and Gentiles and how to respond to those. Peter has matured past all of those things, and he has learned some things as a result of walking with the Lord for many decades. And so he writes this letter, and he writes this letter talking about our duty as believers. And so I want to read the text, and we'll make a few comments about our duties as believers. And then we're going to talk about how much we should be thankful for the nation in which we live. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse number 13. Peter says, you know, for the Lord's sake, you should submit to all authority, whether that be the king as head of the state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has set them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that you live an honorable life, and you should be able to live an honorable life in order to silence ignorant people who make false accusations or foolish accusations against you. So Peter is setting up this argument and saying, as you understand human authority, human authority is put into place by God. Now, even if our culture, our civilization does not acknowledge this, it doesn't change the fact. I guess you could say it's like the law of gravity. You can say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, but the law of gravity is not going to be suspended because you refuse to believe it. It is what it is. God is in control, and he sets governments up, and he takes governments down. Peter reminds us that we should live our lives in such a way that those who come against us, they're going to be silenced. They're going to look at the accusations they bring against us, and they says, you know, there's no credence to it. That's what happened with Daniel. Now, they couldn't find anything wrong with the way Daniel lived his life, and so they began to attack his faith. They began to attack the fact that he was praying three times a day. They began to play on Nebuchadnezzar's ego, and they said to Nebuchadnezzar, why don't you build this great statue and have everybody gather around that thing and worship you and pray over you and praise you? And, and there was one guy who stood out in the crowd who refused to bow. <laughs> that was Daniel. Now, they couldn't find anything against him. And so they said, well, let's find something against his faith. Let's see if we can get him in trouble because he refused to bow to this government official, refused to bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we face the same temptations today. Our money says, in God we trust. It doesn't say, in government we trust. In God we trust. You know, I was so impressed that I saw uh, some of the, uh, the cars in the city of Chesapeake, all of the city cars uh, in the city of Chesapeake, from the police cars to the fire trucks to all the cars that the uh, city of Chesapeake use, it has a phrase that was recently put on those cars. It says, in God we trust. And I was so glad when that decision was made. And uh, as a matter of fact, the mayor of the city of Chesapeake, Rick Rest, when that went through, uh, shared that with our men's ministry. And, and that's a blessing. But I got to always remind myself, and it just can't just be a logo, right, painted on the side of a car, in God we trust. That is where our final confidence is. 
So Peter continues by saying, Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit yourselves to the masters with all respect. Do what they tell you to do, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten or if you're punished for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Well, I think our first duty is to honor God and submit to authority. We talked about that extensively in the broadcast yesterday. Our second duty is that we are to be freed from evil and we should be a slave of God. Now, the reason we're to be free from evil is because that frees us up to be a slave to God. That gives us the opportunity not only to be a servant of God or a slave of God, but also to serve God's people. Paul said to young Timothy, he says, I want to urge you with prayers and supplications and intercessions and thanksgiving to be made for all people. So part of that submission to authority is praying for all people, those who are in a high position and those who are in lower positions. I pray for our president every single day. I don't agree with a lot of what's going on within the White House, but I pray for the president every day. I would not want to have his job, right? And uh, you, couldn't, uh, you couldn't ask me to be president for all the tea in China, uh, because to me, that would be a step down from the call of what God's called me to do. And so I pray for the president. I pray for those God has placed in authority over me. I pray for our local officials. I pray for our governor. I pray for those who God has placed in authority over me. I pray for the warden at Indian Creek Correctional Center. He is over me as chaplain at Indian Creek Correctional Center. I pray for the assistant warden. I pray for the treatment program supervisor. These are people that are over me that God has placed over me. So I pray for them. It's great to be praying for them and encouraging them. There's something else that we should do. Our third duty would be to respect everyone and love believers. Peter says that we are to be respectful, right? Paul echoes the same thing. He says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, putting others above yourself. Now, as a duty, that sounds like a negative thing, but really it's an opportunity for us to be a blessing to other people. You know, I found that as I talk to people, uh, my goal should not be to win the argument, but to win them over. It's kind of easy to win an argument. I think when you look at the tenets of our faith, and if you spend any time at all uh, looking at the Bible from a logical mindset, uh, there's some things that make a lot of sense in the Bible. But I discovered that people don't really care what the Bible says if they don't respect the person that is giving them that message. So our first duty, I think, ought to be to try to win them over as much as is possible to be living at peace with all people, trying to win them over, being gracious to them, realizing that everybody's having a hard time. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, so many times you think, well, Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands the, the depth of despair that I'm experiencing, the pressure I'm under right, right now. You know, I memorized 1 Corinthians 10, 13 because there was a time in my life where I went through a very difficult time. And I felt like nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands the, the anguish that I'm experiencing. And so I memorized 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It became my life verse. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you to memorize it. It says this, Therefore, there is no trial, no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. 
That little phrase is competent man means, you know what? Other people have gone through this before you, and other people are going to go through this thing after you. It's competent man, but God is faithful, and he's not going to allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. But will with that temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it? Oh, don't you love that? The pressure will never get so great that you can't handle it. And if it happens to get to the point where you can't handle it, God provides a way of escape. And he gives us an exit strategy. Oh, I'm so thankful for exit strategies. Uh, Sometimes God will get you out of a mess. I call this a near miss. And not too long ago, I was coming out of a door uh, at Indian Creek Correctional Center. And and you know, there's uh, big, heavy metal doors. And this particular door, uh, the the closer had broken and the door uh, would just fling open, right? And and so, uh, and sometimes it would fling shut if the wind hit it. And I remember I was walking along there and getting ready to, to, to go past this door. And all of a sudden, the wind flung that door right out in front of me, and it just barely missed me. <laughs> I got thinking about that. I said, you know, if I had been here two seconds earlier, that thing would have smacked me upside the head. But God protected me. God gave me that opportunity to have that near miss. Oh, the other day I was driving up to pick up my son in Newport News, and and right before me was an, an accident. I actually saw it happen. And so everybody jams on their brakes, and uh, and there were several cars that were involved in this accident. As a matter of fact, it was right before the Monitor Merrimack Tunnel Bridge, and traffic just stopped. And so there I am sitting out there in the traffic, and and it just stopped. And uh, everybody's real frustrated because we could go nowhere, and uh, we were going to be there for a while. We were there for over an hour, waiting for uh, the uh, waiting for the emergency crew to come in and clean up the mess and all that. And and uh, and as I'm getting frustrated, waiting in that traffic, just sitting there. I got thinking, you know, I could have been going, uh, you know, several cars ahead of where I am, and I'd be right in the middle of this accident. I would be right in the middle of this whole mayhem, but God protected me, and God was with me. Now, now I, I sometimes have a funny way of thinking, and you know, another thought I thought, and maybe this is not a right way to think, but it went through my mind, and I thought, well, you know, God is in, so- is in control, and He's sovereign, and, and I'm glad I wasn't in the mi- middle of that mayhem. I would have been caught in that accident. I said, but, you know, God could have accelerated me a little bit, so I would have been in front of that accident instead of behind that accident, so I wouldn't have to wait. Well, I know that's a terrible way to think, uh, but we are told in God's Word that God is in control. I'm so glad that He's in control, because if I were in control, it would be a major disaster. Well, there's one other area that we've got to look at as our duty, and that is that we honor the employer, and we submit to the good and even to the harsh. You know, John Maxwell said, The greatest day in your life and the greatest day in my life is when we take responsibility for our attitudes. That's the day that we truly grow up. You know, I think about attitude. I I say it often, and I don't even know where I got this from. I'm sure I stole it from somebody else because I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own. But the greatness of a person is never determined by their aptitude. It's always by their attitude. What does it take to get you discouraged? Somebody once told me, you're never going to get beyond whatever it takes to get you discouraged. Think about that one in your life that's holding you back. You'll never get beyond whatever it takes to get you discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged in your marriage right now and you can't get past that and you're not going to get past it because it's got you discouraged. And as a result of being discouraged in that area of your life with your marriage, it's holding you back and that marriage is going to fall apart. But if you learn to trust God during that whole process of reconciliation in your marriage, you can see God do great things. You know, I'm a firm believer that we are blessed to be in the greatest nation in history. 
The Bible is very clear in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to all people. You know what I'm praying for my nation for? I'm praying for revival. I'm praying that the church will be stirred up and that the church will take action and that we won't cower in fear, that we won't back off from our beliefs, that we won't compromise the gospel, that we won't compromise the word of God, that we'll keep living it, that we'll keep preaching it, that we'll keep living it out in our daily lives, that when we have an opportunity to stand up for righteousness, we will take that opportunity. You know, when I think about the founding of our nation, 56 men signed our Declaration of Independence that first July 4th. And did you know that those who signed that Declaration of Independence, they were signing the fact that we had won the war with Britain, but there would still be years of struggling as a nation. Just because we signed the Declaration of Independence doesn't really mean that the battle was over. Oh, we were free from British control, but the battle was still ensuing. You see, not everybody was willing to begin a new nation. Not everyone, even though we won the battle, not everyone was willing to completely break off from Britain. You know, as I think about that, many were still facing tragedies, still facing uh, being hung in many cases because they were going against conventional wisdom. Many of them lost their lives fighting for our nation, standing up for our nation. And as we look at this pledge that these 56 signers wrote down and agreed to, the beginning says, we herewith pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's what they signed, as they signed the Declaration of Independence. As we look at some of these signatures on the Declaration of Independence, I did a study and I wanted to find out, well, what happened to these men? who signed this document. Well, there's one guy by the name of Carter Braxton. Carter Braxton lived in Virginia, signed the Declaration of Independence. Now, he was a very wealthy plantation owner. Uh, He was also very wealthy because he traded with England. But after he signed the Declaration of Independence, he saw that his ships were swept out to sea and he couldn't afford to pay his debts. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his home, office property, and he died in rags. Totally broke, totally destitute. Well, how about a guy by the name of Thomas Lynch? Thomas Lynch signed that pledge, that Declaration of Independence, and he was a third-generation rice grower. He was an aristocrat. He was the owner of a very large plantation, but after he signed that pledge, that we herewith pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor— After he signed that, his health fell apart. With his wife, he set out to France, hoping to regain his failing health. But their ships never made it to France. He was never heard from again. Thomas Lynch died out at sea. And there's another Thomas, Thomas McCann. Thomas McCann of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay. His family died in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer Hall. And and, uh, as we look at another guy, Thomas Nelson of Virginia, from which we get Nelson County, Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised $2 million of his own money to provide for the allies, those who were fighting in the war. After the war, he personally paid back the loans wiping out his entire estate. He was never reimbursed by the government. 
And in the final battle of Yorktown, Nelson urged General George Washington to fire on his very own home that was occupied by Cornwallis. He died bankrupt. Thomas Nelson Jr. pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Wow. You think about what these men went through and how they endured persecution, poverty, so that we as a nation could be free. Thomas Hayward Jr. was captured by Charleston. John Hart was driven by his wife's bedside when she was dying. These 13 original colonies went through a difficult time. Lewis Morris saw his homeland destroyed. His family was scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months of hardship of the war. John Hancock, history remembers him the best due to his quirk of signing things really high and really large. He suffered greatly as a result of signing the Constitution. He was at one time one of the wealthiest men in New England, and he stood outside Boston one terrible night in the war and says, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar. If the public good requires it, let the city be burned. He too lived up to that age. Of the 56 signers who pledged that declaration, few were to live very long. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked and looted, occupied by the enemy, and burned. Two of them lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 in the, of the war suffered hardships from merciful bullets. I don't know what kind of impression you have of these men, but as I think about these men, they were movers and shakers. They were willing to give their very lives for the freedom of this country. These were men of means. These were rich men, most of them, who enjoyed a life of ease and luxury. They were living not as hungry men, they were living as prosperous men, wealthy landowners, substantially uh, securing their prosperity. But they considered liberty much more important than the freedoms that they enjoyed. John Adams said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other way. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 37, for the Lord loves the just, and he will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. I pray for our government that our government will come back to its senses, that it will realize that its primary duty as government is to punish evil and to protect us from evil, rather. As I think about how we are living in this day and age, God has given us a wonderful opportunity to be salt and light. We are reminded in Psalm 9, 7, and 8, The Lord abides forever. He has established His throne for His judgment, and He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the people with equity. One day God's going to take every wrong and He's going to turn it right. In Acts chapter 5, verse 23, Peter says, As apostles, we must obey God rather than man. We are learning that righteousness one day will triumph. There is a great elation to know that one day righteousness is going to triumph. Until then, our duty is to be salt and light, to spread the gospel wherever we go, taking advantage of the blessings that we have here in this wonderful nation that we call the United States of America. 
In the remaining minute of our broadcast, I'd like to encourage you to pray for our nation. Pray fervently for our nation. Pray that our leaders will come back to the Lord. Pray for the everyday person that goes to work every day and provides for his family, that he will realize that life is more important to live to the glory of God, and everything that we do should bring glory to Him. And if we can pray for you in any way, if we can help you in any way, please feel free to give me a text or shoot me a text or give me a call. My number is 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. I am praying that our nation will come back to God. And I believe that the hope for the United States is always the hope of the local church. That is where the power is. So not only do we pray for those who are in authority over us, we pray for the pastors who are preaching every Sunday. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I must not compromise on the truth of the gospel. I must be instant in season and out of season. I must preach with love and compassion, but I cannot compromise the word of God. I must preach it as if all of eternity depends on it because all of eternity does depend on it. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you join me tomorrow. Give me a call if you need anything and any prayer requests turned in, 252-267-2365. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.